Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Adams on Agriculture, thank you for joining us. Hope you had a great long holiday weekend. Thanks for being with us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Here's what we'll be talking about today. Lots of weather information from DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson, a Washington update with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, and reaction to EPA's proposed 2020 RVO levels. Uh, we'll talk with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Suffice it to say, the biodiesel industry, the ethanol industry, not happy with uh, the proposal from EPA. We'll get some reaction later in the program. But right now, we'll kick it off and look at the news with Sarah Wyant, Editor, President of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good fourth. I did, Mike. I hope you did, too. We celebrated with lots of family, and it was really a good time. Well, we're going to kick things off uh, this week looking at USMCA. Will things really start moving on that this week? Will we get the uh, the administration formally filing the paperwork and getting the clock started? It looks like the administration is going to have a kind of an all-hands-on-deck push to uh, get the passage approved for the USMCA, Mike. But you know, it's going to be a pretty heavy lift. As we've covered extensively on AgriPulse, uh, Democrats want to see some revisions in the language, even though Mexico has already approved this draft uh, and uh, or this format. And so it, it doesn't seem likely to me that it's going to happen before the August recess, but there's still a lot of hope that it could happen before the end of the year. So I think we need to make uh, sure that farm groups and farmers in particular are keeping a close eye on what's happening and talking to their elected members of Congress about what this could mean for their future in terms of exports. And if they do so, then there'll be, I think, a heightened awareness of the importance of getting it passed yet this year. A lot of politics at play here, but it seems there would be mounting pressure, even on Democrats with concerns, uh, to to pass this, uh, it would seem like at this point they'd have a tough argument uh, to deal with uh, when they went back to their districts if they uh, if they didn't vote for it. Uh, but do you do you see anything in there that really they consider deal breakers at this point? Yeah, I mean as we've been writing all along, there's a concern about whether or not some of these new standards on labor and uh, working conditions in manufacturing in Mexico are going to be enforced. So there's a lot of concern about enforcement. There's still some concerns about pharmaceuticals. Uh, and so there's, uh, I don't think any of them are technically deal breakers, but you know, right now the politics are pretty hot on uh, making a show of force that, that this could really be a, a problem. And so You know, you've got folks even like National Farmers Union coming out and saying, hey, there's some concerns here. Uh, There really needs to be an opportunity to sit down with Lighthizer, the trade ambassador, and just talk about what is possible. And I think those are some of the discussions that have been going on. And if they can get to some sort of a common ground where maybe not a change in the agreement, but an agreement to make some further uh, changes down the road could be possible. 
Yeah, that's the key. Can you make those changes without reopening the whole deal? Well, absolutely. I don't think anybody wants to reopen the whole thing because you know what can of worms that's going to create. But at the same time, uh, how do you do it surgically so that mm-hmm. you can make some some perhaps changes that will be agreeable to all parties who are uh, you know at the table? But right now, I think it's key for the administration to make sure that everybody is at the table, and if they can get the Democrats to the table and. You know, there's going to be some Republicans that are going to be opposed as well. But right now, and of course, in the House that is uh, controlled by the Democratic Party, you need to make sure that they are being heard and that their concerns are being addressed. Meanwhile, as I mentioned earlier, the biofuels industry not happy with uh, EPA and their proposals for 2020. Oh, absolutely. You know, you could see this coming because their oil interests have a lot of lobbying Uh, Of course, the president has also been very concerned about his farm support base. And when you could see at the end of May, we've got E15 finally approved after talking and talking and talking about this forever, um, that there was probably going to be some concessions made to the oil and gas industry as well. And I think that was reflected on Friday when EPA issued their proposed volume requirements under the RFS. Um, Certainly, I I do think that the the renewable fuels industry has cause to be concerned about this, but they also know that there might be some other opportunities, as we reported in Daybreak this morning, looking at the Chinese market. And certainly the trade ambassador and uh, secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin, are meeting with their Chinese counterparts. Uh, There could be some expansion internationally on ethanol exports, and so there's there's some other avenues that could still be uh, followed for the renewable industry to try to expand their production. But certainly this EPA proposed announcement didn't do them any good. Yeah, and we'll have more on that a little bit later. Finally, what are you hearing? What's the latest in this controversial move of these research agencies to Kansas City? Uh, where does that stand? And, uh, I mean, this has taken on uh, some big uh, gone to some big proportions here as far as accusations that uh, President Trump is trying to dismantle these agencies or change them because he doesn't like uh, some of the results of the research being done there, things like that. I mean, this has really grown into a major controversy. What are you hearing? Well, certainly those concerns have been very loud, very vocal, and I think some of the folks on the other side of the aisle have not been as loud but if you talk to folks in the Kansas City area, which got the winning bid, they're really excited about welcoming researchers and uh, these agencies out into the heartland. Uh, as you know, Mike, the risk management agency has already got a big workforce in Kansas City. Uh, rural development, uh, another USDA agency is big in St. Louis. So it's not really something totally new for USDA to be based out in the middle of the country. And I think folks are looking at that as a fresh look at some of the research priorities. But certainly the folks in D.C. and the Beltway area, they don't want to move. I understand that. But um, they're going to be have an opportunity to move to a place where there's a, a less costly standard of living. And um, we're hearing that some are saying there's just no way they're going to go. They're already leaving. But the number of vacancies that have been posted so far has not been very, very high. So... Um, A lot of heated concerns right now, but it doesn't seem like uh, Congress is going to be able to stop it at the moment. 
as we did report, the General Services Administration has extended into August the deadline for proposals to house these agencies. So that has not been confirmed yet exactly where they're going to be. But, um, you know, the employees have until July 15th to decide whether they want to move. So it's coming right up. And I think you're going to continue to hear a lot of angst over this uh, among yeah, people who are currently working. It's going to be really interesting to see how many those employees actually make the move or follow through on their uh, threats to uh, to resign. So we'll see how that turns out. As always, Sarah, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Take care. Sarah Wyant, editor president of AgriPulse Communications. Coming up next, we'll talk weather with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, there was a study released recently comparing organic milk with conventional milk, and the study says and claims that the the non-organic milk tested positive for pesticides, illegal antibiotics, and growth hormones. When I get reaction to that from the dairy industry, joining us now is the Senior Vice President, Regulatory Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation, Clay Detlefson. Clay, thank you for joining us. Uh, What do you make of this study? At this point, we don't buy it. We don't believe that the results that have been provided are accurate. They fly in the face of government test results that have been going on for years and years and years, and it's just very unusual that these results could be valid. So we're questioning the methodology and the proficiency of the folks that uh, perform the testing. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. 180 over 111. I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell 
everything's changed at his toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, time to check weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, here we have the 4th of July behind us now. We're really settling into uh, this growing season. And it, for many parts of the Midwest, it finally feels more like uh, it should this time of year. More July-like weather. What do we have in store this week ahead? We're going to see very much of the uh, similar pattern, Mike, uh, because temperatures are going to be near to above normal, and that puts a lot of highs in the mid to upper 80s, maybe into the lower 90s. And it is going to be uh, drier except for the northern um, quarter of the Corn Belt, and I'm uh, pegging that from Interstate 90 north. Uh, That's where the boundary is uh, shaping up right now and uh, where the storm track is going to be the most active. And for a lot of areas, it's going to be, I think, a, a pretty uh, decent situation, especially this week. Now, the 10-day uh, and two-week forecasts are still looking on the warmer and drier side. And depending on how everything plays out, there could be a little bit of crop stress because of late-developing crops and corn. A lot of it is going to be going into pollination in the next two weeks. And so it's going to uh, be a uh, obviously a pretty important time. Gets a lot of attention, but probably likely to get more this year because of the late start that we've had. Mm-hmm. I know here in, in Illinois, uh, central Illinois especially, I mean, we've seen the crops really uh, respond to the hot, humid conditions of the last week or so. They have really uh, taken off. Uh, but as you said, we're we're coming into this critical time. There's also been the concern, and you and I have talked about this before, that uh, you know one extreme following another. We wondered if after all the wet uh, conditions we had early this uh, growing season, planting season, would we just turn off completely dry? Are you seeing any indications of that? It's uh, It's going to be a feature that, I think stays in the back of uh, everyone's mind over the next, uh, oh, say, three to six weeks because uh, this is the time now for pollination to get going. Uh, a lot of crops are two weeks behind uh, average uh, on their development and maybe even more than that, uh, particularly out in the eastern Corn Belt. And um, one feature that's uh, showing up here the next uh, week or so is the formation of a tropical or potentially a tropical weather system in the Gulf of Mexico that, um, if it actually develops, is uh, likely to uh, kind of center itself in the northeastern Gulf, you know, around Pensacola, Florida, and uh, and that part of the Gulf uh, region. Uh, the reason I bring this up is that tropical systems certainly can bring uh, some locally heavy rains. There's no doubt about that. But uh, tropical systems also have a tendency to kind of uh, consume all of the available moisture in in that uh, source region, be it uh, the Atlantic or, or the Gulf. Uh, they, they like to, uh, to pretty much dominate the inflow of uh, moisture 
just to maintain their integrity, just to kind of hold everything together. And because of that, uh, when a tropical system develops, uh, oftentimes it's uh, very hard to get a moisture flow northward uh, into more of the interior of the country. And so there could be a, a scenario develop over the next uh, 10 days or so where there is um, a, uh, an area of the country, and thinking about the southeast, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, where, where there is uh, heavy rainfall, but then you get farther north and west uh, into the Midwest and into the uh, eastern plains and so forth where there's not very much happening because you don't have uh, the, uh, the uh, Gulf moisture running northward and, um, and offering some supplemental uh, moisture uh, capability. Now, we've got a lot of low-level moisture because of, you know, how wet the ground is, so we certainly can have, um, you know, kind of uh, daily uh, convective-type thunderstorm activity uh, with uh, light rainfall. But as far as, as uh, significant rains of a half inch or more, uh, we may not be seeing that. Uh, very much over the next couple weeks and and so uh you know because of that uh there could be a little bit more of a drier tendency than is being thought about uh, because of that tropical uh development and and so that gets away from the idea that when you uh, see a tropical storm forming will just uh you know make the leap right away to figuring that there's going to be widespread rainfall because that's not necessarily the case that's interesting. So something for us to keep uh, watch on. Uh, we're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, for those with uh, wheat harvest going on, uh, how's the weather look for that part of the country? Well, it's a little bit patchy, to be honest with you. Um, the the uh, progress last week in Kansas was, was uh, quite good. And overall, winter wheat harvest is likely to get to about the half-done phase, about 50%. But, of course, for a lot of the uh, producers in the Southern Plains, this is running about uh, two to three weeks uh, behind schedule uh, because usually by this time harvest has moved northward out of Kansas and into Nebraska and, you know, farther north even. But that's not the way it is this year, of course. And uh, during the next week, we're going to see thunderstorms just kind of uh, fire up here and there throughout the central and the southern plains. And, and it's going to keep things um, on, a, on a real variable basis, uh, real variable progress type of note uh, for that wheat harvest across the uh, central and the southern plains. Also, Bryce, this year more than most, we'll be watching closely those uh, f- uh, frost dates. Uh, when do, can you start... Typically, can you start predicting with any degree of certainty or confidence uh, frost dates? I mean, how are we too far out to, for that yet? I've already seen one weather service coming out talking about an early frost already. Uh, how, how soon are you comfortable talking about those dates? Oh, probably in a couple of weeks uh, when we get a little bit uh, farther on. I mean, here we are in the first part of July, and uh, there's a... There's quite a while yet. I think that, um, for us anyway, we like to uh, get into the latter half of July before starting to look, uh, you know, into that uh, frost time frame. I think there are a lot of things at play here, and and um, 
it it has to do with the uh, with the lateness of uh, crop development, crop progress, planting, and all that. The um, first of all, as late as uh, things are on uh, on getting started, as late as this crop is, um, I think that the thing to keep in mind is that even an average first frost occurrence may be too early, and uh, the past uh, several seasons have seen a little bit more of a tendency for the frost date to uh, be moved back. And by frost here, I'm talking about the 32-degree temperature. Um, you know, that, that can uh, get played with a little bit, too. Well, are you talking about frost at 34? Are you talking about a hard freeze at 28 and so on and so forth? Let's just say 32 degrees for discussion's sake. And uh, the, the occurrence of that first 32-degree temperature has shown a tendency to be later in the fall than, um, than you know, previous history or, you know, uh, memories and, and all that sort of thing. But uh, as late as crops are, uh, it's quite possible that uh, black layer development, the black layer phase on a lot of corn in the central and the eastern Midwest could uh, not be achieved until about the 1st of October. And at that point, uh, you are right around a week ahead of that first 32-degree temperature occurrence on a long-term average. So I think that that's the thing uh, that is going to be more critical than anything is how the the uh, rest of the summer acts in terms of moving crop development along. Because as you said this last week, there's been a lot of improvement. Uh, there's been uh, more indications of progress and and development. And if if that can be sustained, I think that uh, that's going to be a, more of a key than than when uh, the the first. Uh, frost occurrence develops. Now, back to uh, the original question. Um, in a couple weeks, I think that we will have a better handle on what we are comfortable with when it comes to that first 32-degree temperature uh, pegging. Very good. Lots to think about there. And th thanks for the heads up, things to watch, especially that tropical storm situation and how it could affect the moisture here in the Midwest. Always good to talk with you. Thanks, Bryce. You're welcome, Mike. All right, we'll talk next week. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Coming up next, Washington update with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. His thoughts on the uh, EPA RVO proposal and more. All coming up here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me 
Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, an hour into Monday's trading session, corn and soybean futures trending into positive territory. It's been a mix in the wheats for soybeans. The new crop November contract up two and a quarter, eight ninety-seven. Forty-day moving average at eight ninety-one and three quarters, offering support. Traders watching the weather with the potential for drier weather over the next ten days or so in farm country. In corn, new crop December up three and a quarter at four forty-five and a half. December corn said to be in a corrective phase. Buyers emerged last week around the four twenty and a half level, four forty-three and a half. 10-day moving average offering resistance for the December contract. In the wheats, Chicago September up a quarter of a cent, 515 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat September up two and a quarter at 447 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat September down a quarter of a cent at 533. For livestock at the Merck and Lean Hog Futures, the August contract is up 82 at 77.87. October at 70.82, that's up 75. Live cattle, August contract, down 32 at 106.67. Cash cattle activity, mostly 109 last week on Wednesday, steady with the prior week. Dress business in the north, mostly 180. In feeder cattle, the August contract is down 57 at 138.20. November down 57 at 138.65. Cash cattle activity so far said to be fairly quiet on the week. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is down 99, NASDAQ down 67, S&P down 11, August crude oil up 93 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we're always happy to talk with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, who joins us now. Senator, hope you had a good Fourth of July. How are you doing? Very good. So so glad to have you with us. Uh, 
First of all, your reaction to EPA's RVO proposals. The biofuels industry very upset about this. I know you have concerns as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we should have it pretty well nailed down that, uh, that uh, under Pruitt, the EPA put in motion a fantastic increase in the number of waivers that they gave to small refineries. And I'm not arguing that there's not some justification for some waivers for some hardship cases, but the whole policy was just uh, to go hog wild, dishing out waivers, even if there weren't hardship cases. So then uh, we would like to have those compensation for those waivers to be made up in these new RVO figures for next year and subsequent years, or at least a commitment that waivers are going to be uh, judged ahead of time before the RVO is put out so that they can be taken into consideration when they put the figures out. Because we do not like being announced X number of gallons, billions of gallons of ethanol to be mixed with petroleum products and then have that backed off by 10 or 15 percent over the course of the next 12 months with waivers that are more than hardship cases. We've got refineries uh, under uh, a separate refinery under uh, oil companies that are making billions of dollars uh, getting waivers. Now, they, they argue, that well, that refinery is separate from the company making a billion dollars. But I don't buy that those are hardship cases. And we've, we've proven uh, flat out that Pruitt changed the policies from what we had in the Obama administration, and we weren't even satisfied with the slowness of the uh, – or, or the how uh, – how restricted even Obama was, because sometimes that cut back the number of uh, gallons by maybe 10 percent. Yeah, there was hope that uh, those lost gallons, there would be reallocation, but uh, seems to be no indication of that happening. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to impress upon the president to do uh, when he said he's uh, an ethanol uh, president, and he is an ethanol president. He has stuck with this industry, uh, but he's got people serving him in the EPA that is not really carrying out what the president promised. And I think it's just up to the president to lay down the law uh, that these waivers are only going to be given out in legitimate cases. Yeah, there was hope by the biofuels industry when the president said, let's review our policy, let's look at what's happening here, because he got that message when he was in your state of Iowa, but uh, it doesn't seem that message has gotten through to EPA. Uh, I do know that the president come back uh, very worked up about what he heard from the farmers when he was in Council Bluffs, Iowa, about a month ago, and uh, said, uh, get on top of it. Now, maybe that hasn't filtered down from the White House yet to EPA, but that's what we're counting on. We're talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Meanwhile, Senator, the biofuels industry, and in particular the biodiesel industry, very hard hit, uh, not only by the RVO figures, but uh, by the by the waivers uh, and the fact that they don't have their tax credit. Where do we stand with the tax extenders package? 
probably every time I'm on your program you ask this. I don't have any new information except for the fact that that uh, we've got to wait under the Constitution for the House to pass a tax bill because the Senate can't initiate tax bills. But just as soon as they are, we're ready to move with uh, at least a two-year extension uh, of the uh, uh, of the proposal. No indication yet from the House, though. No, there isn't. Uh, also, uh, we're still hoping that we could get a six- or seven-year phase-out, uh, which the biodiesel uh, industry says that they could work with and would, would be a mature industry at that at the end of that period of time and could stand on their own just like ethanol does when we did away with the tax credit about six years ago. Let's move to trade. Um, what are you hearing about when uh, the administration will officially start the clock on USMCA? And now there's a lot of speculation it won't get voted on before the August recess. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I hope it does get uh, voted on before the August recess. If it gets voted on early September, uh, it would be okay. The most important thing is we don't get it delayed so it gets caught up in the presidential election uh, process that uh, usually takes over after Labor Day uh, through then November the following year. Everything is presidential politics at that point. Uh, I talked to uh, Pelosi about it, Speaker Pelosi about it. I'm convinced she wants to get to yes. Uh, she's got so many new members. She's got to make them comfortable with it. And I don't think the president is going to uh, – it wouldn't be wise for the president, nor do I think he's going to push Pelosi to, uh, to get the clock uh, going uh, too soon. Uh, because uh, he wants a victory, and uh, a, a few days or a few weeks isn't going to make a lot of difference as long as we get the job done. If it gets through the House of Representatives, I'm convinced it's going to get through the United States Senate. They've raised some concerns, environmental issues, labor issues. Uh, do you see those being able to be addressed without having to uh, break open the whole deal and start over? I don't think you can break up on the whole deal. Mexico has passed it. Uh, Canada can pass it any time they want to bring it up. Uh, the problem here is in the United States. Uh, to answer your question more directly, uh, in regard to the negotiations, they would be on labor, environment, and enforcement. And I do think that, uh, that uh, Lighthizer, our negotiator, sitting down with teams of Democrats on each one of those issues, I think can, things can be worked out uh, short of opening up the uh, whole negotiations, which I don't think Canada and Mexico is going to allow to happen. Uh, then in the end, uh, these can be worked out with what you call side letters or annexes. Uh, it's been done before on a lot of free trade agreements, and we can do it in this instance. Speaker Pelosi says uh, they want to pass the bill, even with those concerns by some House Democrats. Um, is there a, a reluctance, you think, just not to move too quick? They don't want to move too quickly. They don't, they don't want it to look like a, a, any kind of a victory for President Trump. Uh, but in the end, you think they'll come around and vote for it? Well, yes, I think so. If, they, if this becomes 
something that no Democrat wants a victory for the president and forget about the good for the entire country. And in a sense, free trade agreements are good for the entire globe. Then that's putting politics ahead of uh, of what's good for the country, uh, and particularly for North America of the three countries of North America. So I don't think they would take that view. I don't sense right now that that's a consideration for Pelosi if she loses control of her caucus and uh, she decides to back off. Then that ends up being a politics over substance. Finally, with Fourth of July behind us, and between now and the August recess, what what's reasonable to think could get done? Is there anything going to happen on infrastructure or any of those issues, or where do we? What do you think will be the, uh, the the main focus now here in the summertime? Not infrastructure, but uh, don't forget the Senate has to deal with all these approvals of nominations of the president, so that's uh, going to take up a large share of the four weeks that we have before our summer break, which is the month of August. Uh, then we have uh, several tax treaties with different countries that we're going to take up this week. Then we're going to have the conference committee on on uh, uh, on uh, the defense authorization bill. Then also I think we're going to have uh, some uh, health uh, issues to deal with, surprise billing, um, hopefully, uh, uh, pharmaceutical costs, as an example. Okay, are you still there? Yeah. Okay, we thought we'd lost you for a moment. All right, so, but nothing on infrastructure. You don't see that, anything happening there? No, not not this fall, but something's got to happen this year or next year. The very least on the infrastructure would be extension of the highway bill, uh, and that would uh, that's got to be done uh, before mid uh, 2020. Okay, all right. Well, it'll be an interesting uh, rest of the month of July to see what can get done and where we wind up on USMCA. As always, Senator, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be with you. Goodbye. Take care, Iowa Senator. Charles Grassley. So um, an update there. He's not happy with the uh, EPA's proposals for RVO levels for 2020. And certainly the National Biodiesel Board is not happy with those proposals either. And uh, they're not happy with the granting of these small refinery exemptions. And they're running some ads uh, expressing their uh, displeasure and trying to inform the president what it means to uh, the biodiesel industry. We'll talk about all that with Kurt Kavarik. He's the vice president, federal affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. He's next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. 
Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612, 800-664-2612. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, pressure on agriculture on environmental issues has been growing the last several years and looks to probably intensify in the years to come. Let's talk about that with the CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, Charlie Arnott. Charlie, thank you for being with us. I know it certainly looks like the public at large and maybe some policymakers uh, don't feel that agriculture is doing enough when it comes to reducing uh, its carbon footprint. Now, agriculture has a good story to tell, but there seems to be a, kind of a, a disconnect here right now. Well, you're exactly right, Mike, and there are a number of things that are that are at play here kind of simultaneously. It's a change in consumer attitudes, consumer, uh, consumer purchasing behavior, the emergence and the growth of the purpose-driven consumer, 
We're also seeing that lack of appreciation and awareness of what actually happens on farms, the bias against size and scale of agriculture, and a number of other factors. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we've been talking quite a bit about EPA's proposals for biofuels usage for 2020 and uh, certainly the biofuels industry not happy with it we just heard senator grassley he's not happy with it let's look at what they're actually proposing here only a minimal increase in u.s biofuel usage uh, for 2020 according to epa uh, reflecting some modest growth in next generation cellulosic biofuels but EPA did not propose any increases in conventional ethanol usage and certainly no reallocation of lost gallons due to those small refinery exemptions. And that's uh, something that uh, the industry, the ethanol industry, had really been pushing for, hoping for that there would be some uh, uh, reallocation and recapturing of those gallons, but not in this proposal. And uh, when it comes to biodiesel, well, not much good news there either. The biodiesel industry was certainly hoping for an increase, but uh, nothing in this proposal there. Um, again, the EPA proposed to keep the biodiesel RVO for 2.43 billion gallons in uh, 2021, the same as in 2020. So no help there or the biodiesel industry, certainly they were hopeful that uh, there might be an increase, although they kind of expected going in that that was not going to be the case. So they are running, the biodiesel board is uh, running some commercials this week aimed uh, at educating the president, letting him know their concerns on this and hoping to get his attention to maybe yet get some changes. You know, the president... Uh, after he came back from Iowa a month ago, he heard from uh, uh, farmers saying they weren't happy with these uh, proposals and uh, there was going to be a review, and that sparked hope for some change, but uh, not in this proposal. Let's talk about it now with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks for joining us. I know you're very disappointed in this uh, EPA proposal. Yes, good morning, Mike. Glad to be with you. We are we are absolutely disappointed and, and frustrated and, and dismayed a bit at uh, this proposal that came out on July 5th. And I will say, you know, you, you can't imagine EPA is very proud of the product that they put out, given that they chose noon on July 5th after the 4th of July holiday to, to, to announce it. It just goes to show the, the level of uh, uh, maybe embarrassment that they have with their own proposal 
that they wanted to make sure that as, as few people were aware of it as, as possible. But you're exactly right. The, the, the proposal that they put out does not provide any uh, volume growth for biomass-based diesel. They proposed to flatline us uh, from, the, from the previous year. Uh, their justification is that they, they don't see the ability to produce or the market there and that it would be a burden to refiners to increase those volumes, which, which is almost laughable given the fact that uh, we're, we're already producing. Our market is greater than the volume that they're proposing, so it's, it's hard to justify holding the volumes flat when we're already producing and have a market above uh, that volume. That coupled with the fact that they completely ignored all of the um, pressure from the biofuels industry and our Hill advocates, and as you mentioned, the farmers in Iowa, uh, to address the lost demand from the, the granting of waivers to uh, small refineries uh, to eliminate their obligation to blend. So what, what you have at the end of the day, if this proposal were to be made final, we would actually go backwards in terms of volume because they don't propose an increase and they don't account for the lost volumes that evaporate when they grant in the dead of night uh, retroactive uh, exemptions to uh, small refiners. In fact, every, every, essentially every refiner that's asked. So, you know, this to us seems contrary to the president's uh, promise to uphold and, and defend the integrity of the renewable fuel standard and to be the champion of America's farmers. Because the fact of the matter is, uh, when we lose demand for biodiesel, that means less soybean oil and animal fats are being uh, converted into a, a usable green fuel and adding value to, to the farmer's pockets. So this, this means there's less demand for that soybean oil. So the, so the same farmer who's lost markets to, to China and, and other areas uh, in trade negotiations is going to lose a market because there's less demand for the soybean oil for biodiesel as a result of EPA's actions. And you're starting a campaign, uh, an advertising campaign, to try to get the president's attention on this. That's exactly right. So, you know, it's clear that, you know, based on the president's uh, public statements in Iowa, as you mentioned uh, earlier in June when he was happy to announce uh, moving forward on E15, you know, he, he, he claimed victory. And he said, I'm going to be the, 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 the patriot and the, and the strong supporter of America's farmers and biodiesel producers. Well, that, that may be true, and this president may believe that, but the fact of the matter is his EPA is not following through with those wishes. And as was widely reported after that event in, in Council Bluffs in June, uh, the president got an earful on what EPA was doing with respect to the volumes uh, through the granting of small refinery exemptions. And he, he told his cabinet, get this right. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, and the proposal that came out from EPA on July 5th does not get it right. So the ad that we are running uh, through this week here in, in Washington on uh, a program that the president watches and then in the, uh, out in Iowa is to demonstrate, listen, we're going we're gonna to take this message straight to the president and to the farmers that supported this president in convincing him and his EPA that in order to hold true to his promise, they need to not only uh, increase volumes, but do something about the loss of volumes uh, as a result of giving these handouts to, to big oil. Well, it's a proposal. We'll see if there are any changes in the in the final rule, and certainly uh, it's hoped by many that there will be, uh, certainly many in the biofuels industry. And, Kurt, we thank you for the update. We'll be talking with you more about this. Thank you. 
You bet. Glad to be with you. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Tomorrow, more reaction to, uh, to this proposal. And uh, we'll also be taking a look at the uh, Purdue CME Ag Economy Barometer, the latest numbers there. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538. Immediately, that's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. 